On this edition of the Cigar Dave Show, prepare for a beer can shortage. A new cigar from Punch to celebrate the Lunar New Year. I have commentary about the Brian Flores NFL lawsuit, the Olympics, the Washington football team, or as we always refer to them, the Washington Redskins name change, and some interesting information about treating the Wuhan virus. The Cigar Dave Show is presented by Gurkha, the world's finest cigars, including the new Gurkha Revenant, the five-country fusion of exceptionally aged tobaccos, will immediately jumpstart your senses for a cigar journey that only Gurkha can deliver. Offered in both Corojo and Maduro presentations, fire up a new Gurkha Revenant today. Visit GurkhaCigars.com and by Davidoff of Geneva and their Avo portfolio of cigars, including the Avo Heritage, crafted through centuries of tradition. Avo Heritage was developed for the cigar connoisseur seeking a fuller-bodied cigar with strength, complexity, and impeccable smoothness. Savor every note of the spice-laden Avo Heritage, available at DavidoffGeneva.com. This is the Cigar Dave Podcast with The General. Well, as always, I have much to get to today, and uh, we'll, of course, enjoy our weekly cigar litation and libation ceremony in just a few minutes. So make sure you have a cigar libation ready at hand. As always, I am locked and loaded for alpha male pleasure conversational maneuvers. Front and center from Command Center Alpha in the Cigar City of Tampa, Florida, USA. As always, I extend to you my long-ass greetings and salutations. A long-ass snappy salute. Semper Delictatio. Always pleasure. Long live the Alpha. Make masculinity great again. Screw the enemies of pleasure. Save America. First up, we are seeing all these supply chain issues, supply chain shortages everywhere you go. There's something that's, uh, there's, there's a shortage on something. I was just in the supermarket last weekend, about a week ago, and I'm going through the, the uh, uh, refrigerated section, and I was actually going to buy some Hebrew National No Nitrate hot dogs for Canine Baron, for Pendragon's Royal Baron, because for breakfast, I've got to incentivize him a little bit. So I take one of those hot dogs, I chop it up, put it in the microwave, and he gobbles it right down along with his regular kibble and his food. Well, as I'm passing by to go to the hot dog section, I see about 15 feet of linear shelf space from bottom to top, top to bottom, empty, that normally holds the bacon. Bacon, nowhere to be found. There was maybe... 10 packs of bacon. I've never seen that before, ever, that I can remember. Ever. So we're seeing supply chain shortages everywhere. Oh, by the way, prepare for massive inflation. I've been telling you this. Oil hit over 90 bucks a barrel in the last two days. You can prepare for massive inflation. It is coming. Interest rates are rising. It is here we are going to get into stagflation, a stagnant economy with massive inflation. Well, the supply chain shortage and, of course, price increases are hitting everybody, including your favorite beer manufacturer, your craft beer distiller, if you will, or your craft beer of your choice. They are in big-time need 
of aluminum cans. Now, when you think about it, you don't think about it. You don't think about a bottle or a, a can. You just assume, okay, they've got the beer. You get a can, you put it in. I don't ever recall being uh, having a supply chain shortage of beer cans or beer bottles or spirit bottles, but that's exactly what we're seeing now across the entire spirits industry. Go try to find your favorite bourbon or whiskey. In many cases, the shelf is empty. Why? Well, they have the bourbon, they have the whiskey, but then they don't have the bottles. Or then they have the bottles and they don't have the cork tops. Same thing is happening in the beer business. The number one manufacturer of cans, I think there's several. I think Alcoa is one of them, but Ball is another very big one. And you remember Ball, if your uh, grandparents or grandmother or your mother or great-grandmother would make their own like jelly or jam or, or fruit, they'd put it in those ball jars. Well, Ball also makes beer cans. And they have now announced that in starting actually January 1, but they delayed it to March 1. So starting in about three weeks, the minimum order for printed aluminum cans for beer is going to go from one truckload to five truckloads for contracted customers. Now, five truckloads represents a million cans. So in the past, craft breweries would go out and they'd buy a truckload. Okay, no problem. You're talking about 200,000 cans. That's a lot of cans. But you buy them, you get them printed, you, you get them manufactured, you buy them, and Ball would also store the cans for many of the craft brewers. Well, they announced that they are no longer going to do that. So now instead of a 200,000 can minimum order, it's now going to be a 1 million can minimum order and that their uh, warehouse would no longer inventory any of the cans that are manufactured and they're directing the, the uh, craft breweries to go to third-party distributors for future warehousing and labeling. And the craft beer companies, the brewers, they're all up in arms. They've gone to their representatives in Congress and the Senate saying, you got to help us. Because what is going to happen now, you will start seeing beer shortages. And we know we cannot have beer shortages, especially around Super Bowl, especially around St. Patrick's Day. You just can't have beer shortages, and especially going into the summer season. But we're seeing it throughout the entire supply chain. We're seeing it everywhere. It is screwing everything up. And I just don't buy the fact that it's all caused because of the pandemic, that they don't have enough truckers or workers. I'm not buying it. Because during the pandemic, when it first started, even when some factories and manufacturers were closing up, they were still shipping. They still had plenty of inventory. But now they're saying that all along they're having trouble getting aluminum. They're having uh, rolled aluminum. They're having trouble getting all sorts of other supplies. If we had a commander-in-chief, a president, that had a functioning brain, for example, like the 45th president, Donald J. Trump, he would have Peter Navarro, his right-hand guy in terms of supply chain issues, and he would have a secretary of commerce and a secretary of transportation that would get the ports cleared up, that would get the highways and the truckers moving again, that would get things on the right track. But instead, 
we've got a Secretary of Transportation who's more worried about breastfeeding his kid than he is making sure that all the giant pallets and all the giant containers at the two largest shipping ports on the West Coast in Long Beach and Los Angeles are getting cleared. He's too worried about having a, a, a little baby on each boob. It's pathetic. And so we're going to start seeing this. Not only are we seeing it, we're seeing it go to get bacon. You're seeing it when it comes to get meat. I just talked to a friend of mine this morning, and she told me she went to Aldi, one of the supermarkets. It's like a no-frills supermarket. I don't know if you have them where you are. I've never been in one, but you have to put like a quarter in for the cart because they want you to return the cart. So this way it reduces labor. You get the quarter back. It's a much smaller store. They really focus on the items that move. Good prices from what I hear. She said they had no chicken. None. This is 2022 in the United States of America. We're not living during the Great Depression. This isn't two, 300 years ago. Everywhere you go, it seems that there is some sort of shortage. And then when there isn't a shortage and there is food, there is meat, the prices have gone crazy. Perfect example, brisket. I used to pay for a whole Packer USDA Prime brisket. Now, a Packer brisket is the whole brisket, the flat and the point. They're usually 12 to 20 pounds. I'd go to Costco one year ago today. Actually, one year ago, I remember it was by January. It was before the, the inauguration last year. So it was right around January 15th. It was like the weekend before. And I remember I purchased a whole Packer brisket. I paid $1.99 a pound. Today, it's now $4.79 a pound. The price is more than doubled, over 100% in one year. Thanks, Joe. Look at the cost of gas. Oil through the roof now, over 90 bucks a barrel. Thanks, Joe. Everywhere you go, we're seeing inflation, supply chain issues, and now if you want to have a beer, it is going to affect you. Now, one thing that will also affect you, if you want to celebrate the Lunar New Year, I don't call it the Chinese New Year, because when I think of the Chinese New Year in Chinese, I think of the Chinese Communist Party. I don't want to celebrate anything with the Chinese commie bastards. So we'll call it the Lunar New Year, and the Lunar New Year this year celebrates the Year of the Tiger. I am Hans and Franz. No, what were the guys' names uh, in Vegas? Uh, Siegfried and Roy with the Tigers. Ooh, the Tigers. We're going to go see the Tigers. It's the year of the Tiger. I am Siegfried, and this is my partner Roy, and we love the Tigers. We live with the Tigers. We sleep with the Tigers. We eat with the Tigers. We drink with the Tigers until one of the Tigers turned on us. That was a sad story. They're both gone now, by the way. Siegfried and Roy, big in Vegas with the White Tigers. Well, it is the year of the Tiger. And to celebrate General Cigar's Punch Cigar lineup, always features over the last four years, starting in 2019, they have always come out with a very unique cigar from Punch to celebrate the Lunar New Year. It started in 2019 where, and it's, a, it's always a fun concept. 
you know, based on something with Chinese. So, for example, the Punch Egg Roll was the first cigar they came out with in 2019. Cheap, $3.99 a cigar. It was a four and a half by 50 Robusto. And then in 2020, they came out with a Punch Chop Suey, a seven by 37 uh, Panatella Lancero, $5.49 a stick. And then last year, the Punch Kung Pow, $5.99. It was a 6 by 52 Toro. This year, they are announcing the Punch Fu Manchu, a 6 by 50 Toro. Suggested price, $5.99 for a box of 20. Very interesting cigar. It is a box press Toro that uses a Honduran Habano wrapper, Indonesian binder, and fillers from the Dominican, Nicaragua, and Mexico results in a very rich, toasty, nutty type of flavor complexity with some natural sweetness. And they extended the pigtail from the top of the cigar. It runs down the front of the cigar to be kind of reminiscent of the long braid of hair worn by Dr. Fu Manchu, the Dr. Fu Manchu character. Very limited cigar, 6,400 boxes of 20 cigars, only 128,000 cigars. Suggested retail is $5.99. It's a steal. But instead of traditional boxes, the cigars are being placed into a package that looks like a takeout, a Chinese uh, restaurant takeout style soup container that has the graphics showing punch and the year of the tiger. Very, very interesting. Every year they come out with something very unique and especially with the packaging. And you got to love that, that it comes uh, looking like a soup container. So it's a round soup container. It's not like one of those containers that folds up that has like a little metal handle where you get rice or your Kung Pao chicken or your chicken fried rice. No, this is what a soup container would look like. So if you get your egg drop soup or your wonton soup, this is what the container looks like, cylindrical container, very unique graphics with the punch and the Fu Manchu that kind of looks like uh, you would be eating at a Chinese restaurant with the tiger on there, very unique cigar. So I have some being sent my way. I will certainly smoke one of those in an upcoming lightation ceremony, but if you want to try one, they are out at retailers now. Again, very limited. When they are gone, they are gone. And speaking of cigars to enjoy for the National Cigar Lightation Ceremony. When I return, I have got a Monte Cristo Nicaragua that I will enjoy, and I've got a special, beautiful single malt scotch that will accompany it as we conduct the International Cigar Lightation and Libation Ceremony next. You count on me to fill you in about new cigars that you should be adding to your cigar or repertoire, your humidors. So I've got two cigars from Gurkha that I will fill you in just launched last fall. Both the Gurkha Revenant Corojo and the Gurkha Revenant Maduro, medium-bodied cigars, each with a slightly different taste profile. Both are square-pressed, feel great in the hand, outstanding cigar smoking experience. First up, the Corojo features a Honduran Corojo wrapper, Cameroon binder, Dominican Nicaraguan, and a special classified broadleaf. Between the Cameroon binder and the broadleaf, you get some sweetness. The Honduran Corojo gives it a little bit of a peppery note. When we talk about the Gurkha Revenant Maduro, features one of my favorite wrappers, the Mexican San Andrean Maron wrapper. A beautiful Maduro, same Cameroon binder. The filler has a little bit of a twist. Still has the Nicaraguan and the sweet broadleaf, 
but it features a Dominican T13 hybrid tobacco. Very unique hybrid cross, great flavors, nice strength, not overpowering. Each Gurkha Revenant between the Corojo and Maduro, slightly different flavor profiles, both on the medium to medium plus side. Can't go wrong. Comes in both a Robusto and a Toro. Great price in the $7, 7500000 area. Check out your retailer. Try a Gurkha Revenant Corojo or a Gurkha Revenant Maduro. You will thank me. With an unlimited and secure supply of pleasure sticks available for the general to enjoy, it's time for National Cigar Litation Maneuvers. Well, I've gone into the humidor, and I remember a number of years ago when I attended one of these cigar retailers' conventions in Las Vegas, that while making the rounds to the Altadas booth, they handed me a large pack of cigars, and as I was going through my humidor, I stumbled across it, and one of the cigars in that package was the Monte Cristo Nicaragua series. This is a full-flavored cigar that is actually a collaboration between Altadas and A.J. Fernandez that is produced at uh, his factory in Esteli, Nicaragua. So this is a Nicaraguan Puro, Nicaraguan wrapper, Nicaraguan binder, Nicaraguan filler. It comes in four sizes, a Robusto, a Toro, the number two, which is a torpedo, and the Churchill. And I have selected the Robusto, five inches in length with a 45 ring gauge. This is going to be on the full flavored side of things, so it's a very rich, flavorful profile, very unique to the Nicaraguan taste profile. Suggested retail for the Robusto for, uh, I think you're looking around 13 bucks. So certainly it's in the premium category. Again, Monte Cristo, all their cigars, whether it's the classic, the white, they are in the premium category. So the Monte Cristo Nicaragua Robusto, my cigar for litation today. Cigar-altering and highly sharpened leaf-exposing device. Self-sharpening double-edged stainless steel guillotine ready for action. Maximum BTU flame-throwing and heat-producing apparatus. Well, I've selected it. I just pulled this out. I happen to be going through my humidor, and I have no idea how these got into my walk-in humidor, but uh, have you ever seen those long lighters? If you're going to light a grill or you're going to light a campfire or a fireplace, it's these long, multi-purpose lighters, flint-based, with butane, has the long stem on the end so you don't have to stick your hands, you know, into the grill. And there's about four of them in a package. And I figured, you know what, see, I got one here, one here, there's one, right? There's one, and, hang on, there's two. I got two matching flames here. They're like adult proof, because you gotta press on the button the right way. So I opened them up and I was gonna uh, put them by my grill and outside and I had a couple of uh, right here near me. I figured, let's try to use a one of these lighters for uh, cigar litation. A little different from a jet flame torch type lighter, but it'll still do the trick. And if there's, as long as there's no wind, you are good to go. Cigar, cigar pre-litation checklist complete. No faults detected. Area clear of all enemies of pleasure. Approval to go throttle up in three, two, one. All right, nice cut, but I do want to take just a bit more off. I was a little bit deficient. There we go. I was just a little bit deficient in taking the 
head of the cigar off. Just I, I take it right above the shoulders where the where the cigar curves towards the head of the cigar. I just like to take it above there. Let me toast this Monte Cristo Nicaragua Robusto. And again, because this is a not a SST jet flame type, you're not going to hear any sound. I mean, I've got it right next to the microphone here, and you're not going to hear any sound on it. But it is working, and I am allowing the heat to cause combustion, so it takes a little bit longer because you don't have that forced flame coming out. And if I speak too loudly and into the flame, it extinguishes. Okay, so here we go. I've toasted. Now let me puff and rotate. Mm-hmm. Definite full flavors right off the top. Nice draw. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Low on the foot of the cigar. Okay, one area needs just a little bit of touch-up. Mm. Remember, as we conduct litation, you conduct litation at home or a cigar lounge, wherever you may be, very important that the foot of the cigar is totally lit. You don't want any dark spots. If you get a dark spot, that part of the cigar will not burn. And when it doesn't burn, you're going to what they call, or what we call in the professionals call, canoeing the cigar. Because you'll have one part that will be burning, the other won't, and so you'll have an uneven burn. That's why I always blow it on the foot of the cigar, just gently. Make sure you have a nice, even amber glow, which I do. My cigar is now lit, and I have selected the perfect accompaniment to it. Scotch, bourbon, and beer. Commence thirst-quenching libationary maneuvers. At uh, one of the Cigar Dave Alpha Pleasure Fests on the flight line, this is probably four years ago, our beverage presenter, our spirit presenter, distributed, or still does distribute, uh, Highland Park single malt scotch whiskey. It is distilled in Kirkwall, Orkney since 1798. So it's been around for a while. And I had really not been familiar with Highland Park. And we had tasting booths set up for all, I think we had 50, 60 different spirits and wines and beers, somewhere along that line. It was huge. Compassed the entire outer area of the hangar. And one of the spirits that I tried was the Highland Park 12-year-old Viking Honor. Matured predominantly in European and American sherry season oak casks, 12-year single malt scotch whiskey, spicy, well-rounded, nice flavors. In fact, it has some notes of sun-kissed Seville oranges, some fruit uh, spices with cinnamon, nutmeg, cloves. Perfect accompaniment to your cigar. And all I have is probably about two shots left in this bottle. In fact, I'll have to talk to my good friends over at Republic National Distributing, get another bottle. But when they gave me a sample, it blew me away. I said, this is the perfect pairing for a medium to full flavored cigar. So let me say cheers. Oh my God, just notes almost of mm, orange marmalade on the nose. We'll take a sip. Oh, nice. Warmth, spice, almost a little bit of heat on the way down. Take another sip. 
Mm. Wow. Very, very nice. Very fruity. Subtle hints of fruit. Clove. Not much sweetness. Fabulous warmth. Now let me take a puff of my Monte Cristo Nicaragua. Stand by here. Mm. Mm. Very nice. Outstanding. Great pairing. Full-flavored Monte Cristo Nicaragua with a very rich, complex, fruity, and clove spice Highland Park 12 Viking Honor. And in fact, kind of reminds me of the Minnesota Vikings. Before they start their games, their their big chant is, Skol! 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 I have no idea what that means. Sergeant Steve, you lived in Minnesota and Minneapolis. What the hell does Skol mean? It's some kind of Norwegian Viking chant. Ah, from Norway. Yes. Very nice. It's Norwegian. All right, well, I almost want to start exclaiming skål, skål, skål after drinking this Highland Park 12 Viking Honor. It is a fabulous spirit. About 55 to 60 bucks. Not going to break the bank. All right, cigar and uh, international cigar and libation ceremony is now complete. When we return, we will get into speaking of sports. Avo Cigars has just launched the newest addition to the Avo Synchro series entitled the Avo Synchro Caribe. Fourth line in the Avo Synchro series, it is centered around the concept of tobacco synchronization. They incorporate the diversity, complexity, and compatibility of cigar tobaccos from the Caribbean and Central America to create a natural harmony, a Caribbean soul, a very dynamic cigar. It uses natural distribution. What does that mean? The proportions of the cigar tobaccos on any given plant perfectly matched in the blending process. So what you get is a Dominican wrapper. You get filler tobaccos from Nicaragua, a binder from Ecuador that are matched absolutely perfectly. The taste, a lively, dynamic, harmonious flavor profile of Caribbean flavors, aromatic spices, some complex cocoa, a beautiful medium-bodied cigar with subtle sweetness resembling tropical fruits. The flavors, rhythm, and lifestyle of the tropics are encapsulated in the new Avo Synchro Caribe, available now at your cigar retailer or DavidoffGeneva.com. As I take some nice puffs of this Monte Cristo Nicaragua, mm, nice aroma, fabulous. Wherever you may be, I hope your cigar is lit. Let me take a sip of my Highland Park 12 Viking Honor. Mm. Outstanding. Now we can continue alpha male conversational maneuvers. Let's talk, first of all, about Brian Flores, the fired, deposed coach of the Miami Flippers of the National Football League. If you caught my Bold Alpha podcast, my brother, our brother podcast of the Cigar Dave Show, on Wednesday, I talked at length, I mean really at length, going through the lawsuit. One of the peeves I have with sports media, the libstream media, the lamestream media, the lazy media, all they read is a press release. So the lawyers that, file, that filed suit for Brian Flores, they sent out a press release 
stating what the loss is, bullet points. Of course, all targeted towards their side of the case. And not one, I will assure you, maybe one, maybe Jason Whitlock read it, maybe a couple others, but most every other member of the media did not read the lawsuit in its entirety. Not one. Well, again, maybe two or three. But the overwhelming majority, the anchors of CBS, ABC, NBC Evening News, the on-air talent and presenters of ESPN, Stephen A. Smith, guaranteed he did not read it. You can name every one of the major sports presenters and hosts. Most likely they didn't read the lawsuit. I did. And I spent loads of time dissecting it. And since that time, since I did that on Wednesday afternoon, here we are three days later. I've had some additional thoughts that I would like to share with you. First up, when Brian Flores was making the media rounds on Tuesday or Wednesday, whenever it was, he was first on the CBS morning show. Then he was on ESPN. Then he was on NPR. Then he made the rounds to pretty much every single major media outlet, both sports and non-sports. My first thought after watching and listening to some of the other interviews, because initially all I saw was the CBS interview that morning, but when he was on ESPN, he was on NPR, several other media outlets, I listened. And what struck me since then is how unprepared Brian Flores was for questions. When he was asked repeatedly about a, a provision that was inserted in the lawsuit stating that a statement that the NFL is like a plantation where the players are essentially like slaves and the owners sit up in their luxury suites. That's exactly what it said. The owners sit in their luxury suites and watch down like a plantation master. I thought the analogy was beyond absurd. I don't know of any slaves that were paid a minimum salary of, to start as a rookie of 465000 with an average salary of, I believe, over $2 million and a median salary of almost a $1 million. I guarantee you that if any of the NFL players took their jerseys off and their pads off, and if you looked at their back, you wouldn't find any lashings from a slave master that was... Uh, that was beating their slave, their player. So it was absurd. And when he was asked on multiple media outlets about that, why he included that, he had no answer. I'll tell you why he didn't have an answer, because obviously he didn't draft the complaint. But if you are a plaintiff and you are sitting down with your attorneys and you put a, a, an inflammatory a really controversial statement saying that the NFL is run like a plantation. You better believe that before you put that in, you you look at that and you tell your attorneys, hey, that's absurd, or yes, we're going to put that in. He had no clue. And here's the other thing. He talked about that blacks are not given the right, minorities not given the right opportunities. Basically castigating the NFL for not hiring enough black head coaches, and also not having enough black owners. And that's what this really boils down to. 
Not enough black owners in the National Football League because it really hit me. Right now, the Denver Broncos will be put up for auction. The Bolin family, there's multiple sisters, and the, one of the, apparently the sisters couldn't, or the family members, the, the offspring couldn't get together. So therefore, in the estate, it says you've got to put it up for sale. And one of the daughters is going to try to lead a group to be able to go and purchase it. I assure you, this is part of the plan of the attorneys, of whomever is really behind this lawsuit. Because I don't believe it's just Brian Flores. I believe there's somebody else or some other group behind it. And the reason that I think that is the case, because his attorneys already a week ago, over a week ago, before Brian Flores had his final interview, or maybe just there, thereafter, immediately thereafter, his attorneys, before they filed anything, already started to contact the networks, TV, radio outlets, to set up interviews before they had filed anything. Now, you telling me that on a Thursday evening or Thursday afternoon all day he has his interview with the Giants, and then Friday the Giants announce who their new head coach is going to be, Buffalo Bills, former Buffalo Bills offensive coordinator Brian Dable, that in that short amount of time, he went to found attorneys and immediately filed suit. This was in the works before. They needed a stooge. Talking about a plantation master, the two attorneys who, by the way, are white, they're the plantation managers or uh, uh, plantation owners that are using Brian Flores. And Brian Flores, if I, if I interviewed Brian Flores, if I was an owner of the NFL, NFL franchise, and I'm talking to Brian Flores for an hour, two hours, three hours, and he is responding to questions the way he responded to questions on all these interviews, pretty ill-prepared, I'd immediately say, he's not our guy. I don't care how much football acumen he has. He just sounds not very bright to me. And that's how he appeared. So there are two attorneys who are leading this, both white. But yet, the attorneys come on and say, There's not an, we're trying to change things to get more black owners and black head coaches and for equal opportunity, and we have to change things. Who's behind it? Is Brian Flores paying those attorneys? What's the arrangement with the attorneys? Who's paying their fees? I guarantee you it's not Brian Flores. Who is? I think those are questions that should be asked. Because if... Brian Flores really was concerned about making his case to have proper representation amongst head coaches of minorities or blacks and to have more or at least one owner, a black owner in the National Football League, wouldn't you think your case would be stronger if you had black attorneys or minority attorneys that were working your case, handling your case? Both attorneys were white. Brian Flores was the head coach of the Miami Dolphins and the owner of the Dolphins, Steve Stephen Ross. And by the way, I'm a Bills fan, so I listen, I hope they stay dysfunction, dysfunctional for as long as Steve Ross owns the team and whoever else purchases the team down the road. I love the fact that the Bills can squish the fish. We whack the flippers. We've got their number. I'm happy with that. I hope the Bills decimate the Dolphins every year. But let's look at this objectively. Stephen Ross has donated millions 
to minority causes and has led by example. If you look at a picture, when Brian Flores was initially hired, there's a picture of Steve Ross, Brian Flores, black, general manager, Chris Greer, black. So you've got a head coach and a general manager that are both black. Does that appear racist to you? Furthermore, the assistant general manager that was brought in, I think two seasons ago, two or three seasons ago, who was the former general manager of the the, uh, Oakland Raiders at the time, Reggie McKenzie, black, hired as the assistant general manager, and they've brought in another minority to be the director of player personnel, also black. So you have in your front office the general manager, the assistant general manager, and your head of player personnel, director of player personnel, that are all black. Can you point the finger at Steve Ross and say, man, that guy discriminates. His entire football operation was black. And Brian Flores can't say, well, I didn't get along with the general manager because of racial tension. I didn't get along with the assistant general manager because of racial tension. I didn't get along with the director of player personnel because there were racial tension. They are all black. But Brian Flores, as I stated on Wednesday in the Bold Alpha podcast, doesn't want to look in the mirror. He is in a long line of coaches from the Bill Belichick coaching tree that seem to think they can operate like Belichick. They can be gruff with the media. They don't have to answer to anybody. They operate in their own little world. They don't have to communicate with others. That is a trait. Let's take a look at examples. Josh McDaniels, who is now the, just named the head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. His first coaching job 10, 12 years ago was with the Denver Broncos. He didn't last two full seasons. Didn't get along with the owner, didn't communicate. He was a prick. Again, tried to emulate Bill Belichick, thinking, oh, that's the Patriot system. I can operate in that same manner. Matt Patricia, the former defensive coordinator of the Patriots, becomes head coach of the Detroit Lions. I think he lasted three seasons. They lost at every turn. The players hated him, didn't get along with ownership, didn't communicate with ownership, didn't get along with management, didn't get along with anybody. The media despised him. He was a prick. He got fired. And what do you know? Brian Flores operates in the same manner. And as I said on the Bold Alpha podcast, what was the first? He'd been through, I think, eight or ten assistant coaches, umpteen offensive coordinators. His, uh, after the second day of training camp, after his first, during his first season, he fires a very well-respected, successful offensive line coach saying, it's just my gut feeling, and he replaces him with one of his other buddies from the New England Patriots, who, by the way, he got rid of him as well after the season. Brian Flores is the problem. Steve Ross has done more for black coaches and front office personnel than probably any owner in the league. And further, when Steve Ross set up on his boat, on his yacht, after the 2000, what was it, 2019 season, when everybody knew that Tom Brady was not going to re-sign with the New England Patriots. He had a deal that at the end of that year, he could be a free agent. The Patriots blessed it. 
Everybody knew it. There was no tampering. And when Ross invites Flores to his boat for lunch, he says, by the way, I've got a, a, a quarterback, a, a player that's going to be coming to join us for lunch. And by all accounts, that was Tom Brady. And instead of saying, wait a minute, we have the opportunity to get probably the greatest quarterback of all time to play for the Dolphins, me as a head coach, that means I'm going to win more games? This is a home run. Instead, he gets up, walks away in a huff and says, this is tampering and I'm not going to be involved with it. Brian Flores is the problem. But this, to me, I want to know who, and this has not been brought up, is Brian Flores paying the attorneys? Are they on a contingency basis? How did he hook up with these two white attorneys? I mean, again, after all, if you're trying to make your case that blacks and minorities should be better represented, shouldn't you have a group of black and minority attorneys? This is very fishy to me. All fishy. And to say to Steve that Steve Ross said to him, and who knows, maybe he did. I'll pay you 100000 per loss. Was it in jest? Who knows? He supposedly has a witness, one of his friends. Well, it's going to be a he said versus she said type of deal. But everybody knew in the first season when Flores was, was coaching, Miami, the whole community was tank for Tua, tank for Tua Tagovailoa. Everywhere you went, tank for Tua. It was on sports radio. Everybody was talking about it. This wasn't a surprise. But I find it amazing to me that you've got a guy who basically reminds me of a woman scorned. Hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. Brian Flores got fired. He wasn't happy about it. But again, the only person to blame is Brian Flores because he couldn't get along with his general manager, also black, couldn't get along with his owner. Coaches love to talk about being team players, but in many instances, they don't play well with others. One thing you better play with is your owner who runs the show, whether you like it or not, and your general manager in your front office. And Flores thought, I don't need to talk to anybody. I'm going to operate in my own little world. He's not Bill Belichick. And after three years of his bullshit, Steve Ross said, you know what, enough. And by the way, when they had the opportunity to make the playoffs in 2020, the last game of the season, they were playing up in Buffalo. Buffalo had already clinched the division. They only played their starters for half a quarter, and they pulled them all out. They were playing second and third stringers the rest of the game. The Bills hung over 50 points on Brian Flores' Dolphins, 56-21. They destroyed them. Dolphins didn't make the playoffs. What were they playing for? They were playing to get in the playoffs. The Bills were playing their second and third stringers. Brian Flores couldn't coach his team of first stringers to beat the second and third string Buffalo Bills. Look in the mirror, Brian Flores. So you got lawyers that are white. He's going after Steve Ross like a woman scorned. He figures, hey, if I'm going to go down, I'm going to take him down. And then he throws his mentor, the guy that hired him in the first place, as a personnel assistant or a personnel intern and guided his career over, I think, 15 years in New England. So they rose up to be, I think, the linebacker's coach. And if I'm not mistaken, his last couple of years there, I think he called the defenses. Belichick groomed Brian Flores. He mentored him. Under Belichick's tutelage, by all accounts, Flores is a pretty good defensive coach. Their Dolphins look pretty good. But then he throws Bill Belichick under the bus with the text message. 
And by the way, Bill Belichick didn't come out and say, hey, I know for sure that Dable got hired. He said, I hear that you, you know, I think if I'm not mistaken with the text message, he didn't say he knew for sure. He said, I'm hearing that it looks good for you or you may get hired. He said he had sources with the Giants or the Bills. But yet, he didn't come out and say definitively, Dable's hired. Again, he confused Brian Flores with Brian Dable. But to throw Bill Belichick under the bus, the, the man that mentored you for 15 years, that took you off the street from nothing, put you in personnel, made you a scout, brought you onto his coaching staff, rose you through the ranks, guided you, mentored you, this is how you thank him. And then Flores, who's totally got his head up his ass, is in the running for the New Orleans Saints job and the Houston Texans job. He tells, as he files the lawsuit, he says, oh, just to let you both know that I'm filing suit at the NFL. And the reporters all ask him, well, didn't you think that's kind of like career suicide? Well, I, I, I looked for the good in people. Are you kidding me? Would any employer, I don't care what industry or business you're in, would you hire a guy that just sued your employer? Or let's say you're, you're, you're part of a franchise. Let's say you own a McDonald's and you're going to hire a regional guy to run your 10 franchises, but he sues McDonald's corporate. Are you going to hire him? Wake up. Brian Flores deservedly has committed career suicide. This isn't about fairness. The Rooney rule, as I said, is a joke. It's a total sham. All the Rooney rule says is we want to be able to put people in front of owners. Doesn't mean you're going to get hired. And all we keep hearing for the last four years, Eric Bieniemy, offensive coordinator of the Kansas City Chiefs, Eric Bieniemy. Who's saying it? It's all these play-by-play -play announcers, color commentators. It's it's the uh, the announcers on ESPN and Fox Sports. Oh, Eric Bieniemy. They rave about him. They haven't sat down for a four-hour, five-hour interview with him. They haven't done an extensive background check. By the way, if you look at Eric Bieniemy, he's got some skeletons in his closet from when he was a player at Colorado. Some sexual assault allegations. And who knows, maybe when owners sit down, they say, you know what, not very impressive. Don't really think he could be the guy to lead us. Maybe he's an offensive coordinator. That doesn't mean we have to hire him. Every year you hear this, Leslie Frazier. The Bills, oh, number one defense. Leslie Frazier was a head coach. There are plenty of coaches, white, black, Asian, you name it, who are great coordinators or great position coaches who turn out to be lousy head coaches. The cream rises to the top. Brian Flores most likely would have gotten another head coaching job next season or the season after. Probably next season, because you knew there was going to be probably three, four openings, and he had a record with the Dolphins. However, the Giants did ask him, because it's come out, they asked him about his inability to work well with others. That's a problem. And if I'm an owner, I sit down and say, tell me, the first thing you did is you alienated a number of players. You got rid of very good players. Minka Fitzpatrick, great defensive back. You got rid of him. You got rid of other players. You got rid of all these coaches. Why can't you get along well with others? What's the problem? That's the first thing I would ask. So Brian Flores is scorned, and so he figures, I'm going to take everybody down because I'm mad I lost my job. How dare the owner fired me? I got news for you. When it all comes out, 
And now it's already starting to come out because the Denver Broncos released a statement after being accused by Flores and his attorneys in the lawsuit of showing up to an interview an hour late that John Elway and the CEO of the Broncos looked like they'd been drinking the night before. They'd been dis- they were disheveled, showed up late. Well, the Broncos came out with a statement saying the interview took place in Providence, Rhode Island, on, I think it was like Friday, January 9th, 2019. I think that's the date. At a Providence hotel. Providence, everybody thinks that the Patriots play, you know, Foxborough's closer to Boston. It's actually closer to Providence, easier to get to. So they met at a Providence hotel, conducted a three and a half hour interview, started at 7.30 promptly, ended at 11, the full allotted time. And the Broncos said, we have full notes and records and transcripts. And then John Elway came out and said, I normally wouldn't comment, but I feel the need to clear my name. And when my integrity has been impugned, I need to set the record straight. He said, we were tired because we flew all night to get to Providence because the only day and time that we could interview Brian Flores, the only time he gave us was that one day, Friday January 9th, 2019, 7.30 a.m. in the morning for an entire morning interview. So the Broncos, if they were full of shit, they would have said, hey, you know what, let's just do it electronically, let's whatever, you know, we'll wait till he's, you know, till, till, till he's out of the playoffs or whatever. No, they, I'm sure, chartered a plane and they flew all night because they had an interview the day before, I believe. They flew all night, they got there. So if you fly all night, and you get into Providence at 3 in the morning, 4 in the whatever it is, 2 in the morning, you got to change in time zones. You don't think you're going to be a little groggy at 7.30 in the morning? Brian Flores has screwed the pooch, his own pooch, because all these teams now are going to say, no, we're going to fight this. You're not going to accuse us of this nonsense. And remember, it's cost you, what, 100 bucks to file a lawsuit? 150 bucks, whatever it is. You can say whatever you want in a lawsuit, but when it comes to discovery, that's when the shit hits the fan and it becomes real. That's when his white lawyers are now going to get the tables turned. When the lawyers for the New York Giants start deposing Brian Flores, and when his white lawyers depose the Giants personnel, they'll tell him, hey, we didn't make our final decision until... After all the interviews, Flores was our last interview. Actually, he wasn't the last interview. The last interview was Leslie Frazier, the Bills. He had a second in-person interview. They flew him in, and they gave him the same treatment that they gave Brian Flores. He met with every member of their personnel department, met with ownership, toured the facility. It was a meeting, I think, that started at 9.30 in the morning and lasted till about 4 in the afternoon for all the candidates. So he doesn't have a leg to stand up, period. And by the way, the Rooney Rule isn't law. All the Rooney Rule is a suggestion so that black coaches can get an opportunity to interview. It doesn't say you have to hire a black coach. It says you must interview during your process. By the way, Mike Tomlin, who is the only black head coach in the National Football League now, he got the job with the Pittsburgh Steelers not as a result of the Rooney Rule. They had already interviewed several minority candidates, and he was one of the last candidates that they interviewed. And when they interviewed him, they were blown away by him, and they hired him, and he's been there, what, 13, 14 years, something like that, won a Super Bowl? Had nothing to do with the Rooney Rule. It's because of his 
accomplishments, and his competence. So these attorneys are about to get it handed to them. And I'm sure the Broncos have all their, they've got the paperwork, they've got the receipts. Because most of the time you think, okay, well, you do an interview, whatever, you sit there and chat. Clearly, they all took notes and they all have documented detailed records of the meeting. That'll come out. So as everybody gets deposed, the truth starts coming out. But mark my words, this is a play to, number one, try to get Steve Ross forced out so that magically a black ownership group can come in and buy the Dolphins. Same thing with the Broncos. You watch. The league will now start to press and say, okay, we need to try to get a black owner here. It doesn't look good. That's exactly what they're doing. So Brian Flores will probably, you watch, whatever ownership group, they'll say, well, Brian, for what you did, for risking your career, we're going to give you a 5% ownership stake in the team. Watch what happens down the road. Those are my additional thoughts. Maybe I'm right, maybe I'm wrong, but I believe it's worth discussing and worth pointing out. The Washington Commanders, new name of the Washington the team formerly known as the Washington Redskins. They'll always be known as the Washington Redskins to me. Now, the Washington Commanders don't care for the name. The logo sucks. It's a W on the side of the helmet. It's horrible. They've got the same, primarily the same colors, the red and the gold of the Washington Redskins. But it's a W on the side of the helmet and the numbers on the other side. It's pretty lame. They have a Washington Commanders crest. That looks okay. But to me, there's a problem with the Washington Commander's name. But it's so appropriate for the Washington, D.C. swamp that they're named the Commanders because what will the... Sergeant Steve, what do you think the abbreviated name of the Washington Commanders will be? Should be WTF, but... Well, <laughs> that's true. The Washington Commies. Think about that for a second. How appropriate in the swamp of D.C. and already people have already put logos on there. If you look at the Chinese red, their, their flag of Chinese Communist Party, red with the gold. The hammer, you know, even in Russia, you put the hammer and sickle with the, with the, uh, the red and the gold, the Washington Commies. To me, the better name would have been the Washington Red Wolves. And actually, you know what's amazing? When you go on social media and you actually look at some of the renderings that just fans that are artists or have a graphic uh, ability to design a logo, the logos that they have come up with for the Washington Red Wolves are outstanding. And in fact, Sergeant Steve, I'm going to send these to you because there's a couple that just blew me away. There's one where you've got the W and you've got the wolf right in the center of the W howling. That looks awesome. There's another one where there's a W, three stars underneath, gold stars. And the capital, the capital rotunda represents the middle of the W. And there's a wolf within that. That's pretty cool. So I'll send a couple of these renderings out. But to me, the Washington Red Wolves, it sounds good. It maintains that Washington Redskins vibe, that feel, that tradition far better than the Washington Commies. Lame name. And the logo, the W on the side, I mean, seriously, nobody could get wood up for that logo. Speaking of sports, staying in sports, I should say, let's talk about the Winter Olympics in uh, the People's Republic of China. 
the CCP, Run Olympics, the Communist Winter Games, the country that has over a million Uyghurs in work camps, concentration camps, that suppresses their own people. They don't allow for freedom of expression, freedom of speech. In fact, all the athletes were warned by the Chinese Communist Party and the Olympic committees, do not express your opinions because in China they can arrest you and they will. Now, why on earth would the corrupt-laden International Olympic Committee, the IOC, ever select a communist country to hold the Olympics? They did hold it in China, I think in the Summer Games, what was it, 2008? Why on earth do they keep selecting these communist countries, Russia, China, they, it list goes on and on. These countries that do not allow free speech. And many number of reports already now that athletes are being tested multiple times a day because China wants to maintain a zero CCP Wuhan virus transmission rate. And there was a Norwegian skier, or maybe he's a Belgian skier, I can't remember, who tested positive. She was taken out of the Olympic vi uh, uh, Village. They put her in an ambulance and they sent her to some remote quarantine center where she was almost being held like a prisoner. And she had tested, I think, two or three times negative over two days, and they still wouldn't let her out. They said, nope, you got to stay here another 10 days. And finally, the IOC and the, I think the Belgian uh, Olympic Committee finally got, you know, because she went on social media crying in tears, saying, I don't understand why I'm being held like I'm in prison, they finally intervened and they moved her back to the Olympic Village to a, a, a separate area. And the Chinese communists, of course, said, oh, it's because we didn't have any beds there. So therefore, we put her to this remote quarantine facility. Nobody believes that. The Chinese Communist Party are evil. They're responsible for the Wuhan virus. They're responsible for the deaths of millions around the world, the infection of millions around the world, the tanking of the economy. They kept it hidden. They kept it secret, and they allowed it to spread. Screw Xi Jinping and the Chinese communist prick bastards. But there's a little story that should be told here about an American skier by the name of Eileen Gu, 19 years of age, I think 18 or 19. I think she's 18. By all accounts, an award-winning skier. She competes in the half-pipe, the slope style, and the big air. So she does these, you know, it's not like a slalom. She goes off the jumps and, you know, twists and turns and does all sorts of aerobatics in the air. She was born in the United States, San Francisco, to an American father and a mother of Chinese origin. Her mother, Yan Gu, moved to the United States from China as a student in her 20s studied at Auburn University and Rockefeller University, and received an MBA from Stanford University, stayed in the San Francisco area, gets married, and has her daughter, Eileen Gu. Two years ago, Eileen Gu, who trained at American Olympic facilities, trained under exceptional coaches, now clearly she has talent, but nonetheless, She's able to utilize the U.S. Olympic Committee facilities, great coaches who nurtured her, worked with her, coached her. All the trappings of the U.S. Olympic Committee decides at age 15 that 
she is going to compete for China in the 2022 Winter Olympics that are just underway. She acquired Chinese citizenship via naturalization in 2019. Now, you can have multiple dual citizenship pursuant to the Olympic Charter. However, China does not allow for dual citizenship. You're either a Chinese citizen or you're not. And in fact, their rules are very simple. If you become a Chinese citizen, you renounce any other citizenship, period. Or you don't become a Chinese citizen. Now, there's no record. Every time somebody renounces their citizenship, it is published. It is publicly published in the Federal Register. Reporters have looked. doesn't show anything. So we don't know if she's a dual citizen. She's renounced her citizenship. It's very murky. She won't discuss it but decided that she would compete for China, a communist party that, as I mentioned, treats their citizens horribly, jails and prisons, uh, puts in worker camps, concentration camps, murders Uyghurs, Uyghur Muslims, and the world does nothing. The world says nothing. It is outrageous. How on earth? This is the genocide games is what it is. This is the equivalent of when the Olympics were held in Berlin under Hitler. There's no difference. Chinese murder and oppress their own people just like the Nazis. But the Chinese have a better standing in the world stage because of their economic standing and because of the fact that they do business with countries around the world. And the fact is they have funded many third, second, and third world countries that are beholden to China. They're no dummies. Xi Jinping is no dummy. We're the dummies for acquiescing to China. We're the dummies for allowing Wall Street and manufacturing companies and publicly traded companies to ship all our manufacturing and outsourcing the American economy to China to save a half a penny. Our pharmaceutical products aren't even made here. They're made in China. The raw materials... And all the talk about, we need electric cars, EVs, electric vehicles that run on lithium-powered batteries. Who's the number one producer of lithium in the world? Take a guess. You got it. China. China! Under the Chinese Communist Party. So Eileen Gu, who will be competing for the Chinese Communist Party, the People's Republic of China, under the Chinese name of Gu Ailing, Gu Ailing, renounces essentially her citizenship to the United States, even though she's an American citizen, and decides that she is going to represent China. And when asked about it, she said that through skiing, she hopes to help inspire millions of young people in China and to unite people, promote common understanding, create communication, and forge friendships between nations. Talk about naivete. Perhaps she should talk to her mother about why she decided to not only study in America, but stay in America. Perhaps she should ask her that. Why, even though she has family back in China, her mother didn't want to go back to China? Pretty simple. Who wants to go back to a communist oppressive society? She is naive as can be, and her face is plastered. She's got about $35 million worth of endorsement deals, billboards, stores, everywhere you go in China. I, Gu Ailing, 
plastered with her face and her name all over China. Now, reporters have asked her about her status as a U.S. citizen, and she would not answer. I find that to be rather interesting. Why wouldn't you just say, I'm a dual citizen or I'm a Chinese citizen? I'll tell you why. Because if she still is maintaining her American citizenship, the Chinese cut a deal, an exception to allow her so that they could try to win at least a gold medal. She is getting criticism from every side. Chinese Americans, Chinese nationals that left China because of the conditions, she is getting hammered everywhere. And in interviews, she says, nobody can deny I'm American. Nobody can deny I'm Chinese. When I'm in the U.S., I'm American. But when I'm in China, I'm Chinese. I see. So when you're in China, do you condone the suppression of speech? Do you condone the murdering of people who oppose the government, the murdering of Muslim Uyghurs? Do you oppose that, or are you fine with that? I find it interesting. She lives in San Francisco under the guise, of course, Libtown, USA, under the guise of all the freedoms and protections and benefits of the United States, yet when she's in China, she says, I'm Chinese. Pick one side, honey. You're American or you're Chinese? You want to be Chinese and renounce your American citizenship? Be my guest. You're a traitor as far as I'm concerned. Every American should root for Eileen Gu, or as she'll, she's known in the games now, Gu Eileen, for her to lose and lose badly and not win a medal. Screw her. And I'll tell you several other people that we should screw. Two hockey players, both Americans, who have decided that they're going to play for the Chinese Communist Party team in the Olympics and represent China. Exhibit one, Jake Chelios, the son of well-known retired pro hockey player Chris Chelios, moved to Beijing, China in 2019 to play for the Chinese-owned Kunlun Red Star in the KHL. He has decided to join China for the Olympics. Here's a quote. I think half the family was a little confused of what was going on at first, but now they've started to understand how special it is. Since we've been over here for three years, whatever it is, you start to feel a closeness to China. We've been eating Chinese food. We've been living the Chinese culture. So there's a certain closeness you start to feel with China. And you start to feel like you're actually going to represent them and you want to win for them. Well, look, I eat Chinese food. I love Kung Pao chicken and... Uh, chicken chow mein and beef fried rice, pork fried rice, the Chinese sparabs. That doesn't mean I want to go and represent China. He says that you start to feel a closeness with the Chinese culture. So does he feel a closeness to the suppression of speech, to the control over Chinese people, what they see, what they read, what they hear? Is he in favor of the murdering of an ethnic minority? Pretty stupid. Again, naive. Also, former NHL goaltender Jeremy Smith, who at one time played for the Colorado Avalanche, has also committed to play for Communist China, saying he was flattered to be asked to join the Chinese Communist team. He said, of course I said yes. I think it's an honor to play in the Olympics. But to dream of playing for the host city in the Olympics, I didn't ever think there would be a chance for me in my lifetime. 
Do these people even read current events? Are they aware of what's taking place in China? Do they not realize that China is an enemy not only of America, but of the world, of their own people? You've got 1.4 billion people in China. There's maybe a million members of the Chinese Communist Party, of which maybe there's a thousand that rule the roost and a couple of hundred that really rule everything. You think the 1.399 billion people want to live in a communist system with their every move tracked, a social score attached to them, freedom of speech suppressed, knowing that if they say something or do something, they'll be taken away from their family, they'll be jailed, imprisoned, murdered? It is pathetic. It is outrageous that Eileen Gu, an American whose clearly mind has been poisoned by the radical socialists and Marxists in San Francisco growing up and in her school system, wherever she went, and these two hockey players to go play for China, it's outrageous. It's repulsive. It's disgusting. I don't want China to win anything. I hope all these Americans fall flat on their face. They deserve every loss they get. I, for one, will not be watching the Gestapo games of China. I will not be watching one lick. And I love the winter games. I love the winter games more than the summer games. I love the luge, the bobsled, hockey, the uh, skiing. Love it all. Not going to watch. I don't want to support the Chinese Communist Party. I don't want to support the ratings for the Chinese Communist Party. I think NBC, it is disastrous that they are just so thrilled to be presenting the games from a country. Oh, by the way, they're not even sending their announcers to China. Why? Not only because of the Wuhan virus, because of the safety of their own announcers. Mike Tirico is anchoring the evening or the coverage from a studio made to look like winter in Los Angeles. He's not there. Nobody from NBC is there. And frankly, no American should watch and support the Chinese Communist Party Olympics. When we come back, I will tell you, wrap it up briefly, two items. One about interesting treatment for the Wuhan virus and a final comment about Whoopi Goldberg that a well-known dumb member of Congress chimed in on. You count on me to fill you in about new cigars that you should be adding to your cigar or repertoire, your humidors. So I've got two cigars from Gurkha that I will fill you in just launched last fall. Both the Gurkha Revenant Corojo and the Gurkha Revenant Maduro, medium-bodied cigars, each with a slightly different taste profile. Both are square-pressed, feel great in the hand, outstanding cigar smoking experience. First up, the Corojo features a Honduran Corojo wrapper, Cameroon binder, Dominican Nicaraguan, and a special classified broadleaf. Between the Cameroon binder and the broadleaf, you get some sweetness. The Honduran Corojo gives it a little bit of a peppery note. When we talk about the Gurkha Revenant Maduro, features one of my favorite wrappers, the Mexican San Andrean Maron wrapper, a beautiful Maduro, same Cameroon binder. The filler has a little bit of a twist. Still has the Nicaraguan and the sweet broadleaf, but it features a Dominican T13 hybrid tobacco. Very unique hybrid cross. Great flavors. Nice strength. 
not overpowering. Each Gurkha Revenant between the Corojo and Maduro, slightly different flavor profiles, both on the medium to medium plus side. Can't go wrong. Comes in both a Robusto and a Toro. Great price in the $7, $7.5 area. Check out your retailer. Try a Gurkha Revenant Corojo or a Gurkha Revenant Maduro. You will thank me. Be sure to subscribe to our brother podcast, Bold Alpha, where we talk the alpha male lifestyle, including cigars, libations, technology, grilling, politics, and more. Search Bold Alpha anywhere you listen to podcasts and hit subscribe. Avo Cigars has just launched the newest addition to the Avo Synchro series entitled the Avo Synchro Caribe. Fourth line in the Avo Synchro series, it is centered around the concept of tobacco synchronization. They incorporate the diversity, complexity, and compatibility of cigar tobaccos from the Caribbean and Central America to create a natural harmony, a Caribbean soul, a very dynamic cigar. It uses natural distribution. What does that mean? The proportions of the cigar tobaccos on any given plant perfectly matched in the blending process. So what you get is a Dominican wrapper. You get filler tobaccos from Nicaragua, a binder from Ecuador that are matched absolutely perfectly. The taste, a lively, dynamic, harmonious flavor profile of Caribbean flavors, aromatic spices, some complex cocoa, a beautiful medium-bodied cigar with subtle sweetness resembling tropical fruits. The flavors, rhythm, and lifestyle of the tropics are encapsulated in the new Avo Synchro Caribe, available now at your cigar retailer or DavidoffGeneva.com. Finally, two items I want to get to. Number one, we have spoken about the effectiveness for a long time, over a year and a half, about hydrochloroquine, ivermectin, vitamin C, vitamin D3, zinc, azithromycin or doxycycline, early treatment. I've spoken about it. I've done research. Last week, we told you about a study done in Turkey, 287 patients in hospitals for the Wuhan virus. All of them had severe vitamin D uh, uh, insufficiency or deficiency, I should say. All of them, 287, were in bad shape. But they were given the Zelenko protocol of the HCQ, IVM, vitamin D, vitamin C, and all of them, with the exception of one, 286 out of 287, recovered and left the hospital. And the average stay they were in the hospital, I think the time the treatment was given was about 10 or 12 days. They were not on a good path. The one woman that died, age 70, had virtually non-existent vitamin D levels. Well, a new study from Israeli scientists said, uh, say they have gathered the most convincing evidence to date that increased vitamin D levels can help Wuhan virus patients reduce the risk of serious illness or death. Researchers from Bar Ilan University and the Galilee Medical Center say that the vitamin has such a strong impact on disease severity that they can predict how people would fare if infected based on nothing more than their ages and vitamin D levels. This is amazing. Many physicians have been saying already, 
talking about vitamin D, that almost every patient that has gone into the ICU had a severe vitamin D deficiency. Everybody thinks, just go outside for 10, 15 minutes, you get vitamin D. It's not enough. Good friend of mine who's a physician, 10 years ago, did my vitamin D level along with all my other blood work, and he said, your vitamin D level is way deficient. You need to start taking five to 10,000 IU every day of vitamin D. And I have. Knock on wood, haven't had any issues with the Wuhan virus. But lacking vitamin D has been shown to significantly increase danger levels. In a peer-reviewed research published Thursday in the journal PLOS1, P-L-O-S-1. The study is based on research conducted during Israel's first two waves of the virus before vaccines were available. Doctors emphasize vitamin D supplements were not a substitute for vaccines. Of course they didn't, but rather a way to keep immunity levels from falling. Vitamin D is critical, and the number of people in the world that have vitamin D deficiency is huge, especially in the winter months. Think about it. You live in the Northeast, the Midwest, the Pacific Northwest, the Mid-Atlantic. It's gray outside. It's cold. You may work out inside. You don't go out for long walks outside. There's no sun. You're not getting the vitamin D. Everybody now should be taking vitamin D. Researchers published findings showing that 26% of Wuhan patients died if they were vitamin D deficient soon before hospitalization compared to 3% who had normal levels of vitamin D. They also determined that hospitalized patients who were vitamin D deficient were 14 times more likely on average to end up in severe or critical condition than others. The moral of the story here, go out today, pick up vitamin D. I use 5,000 IU tablets, or there's these little, they look like little capsules, these jelly capsules. They come in tablets too. Get your vitamin D level checked. Go to your doctor. When you get blood work, tell them, hey, check my vitamin D. If you're vitamin D deficient, here's one thing you can do that virtually costs you nothing that's available over the counter where you're not going to hear the controversy of hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, it's, it's an animal, it's an animal drug. You're not going to hear any of that bullshit. Vitamin D, critical. Now, lastly, as you know, Whoopi Goldberg earlier this week made a total ass of herself saying that the Holocaust perpetuated by the Nazis against the Jews, was not about race. It was white-on-white -white crime. It was about just inhumanity, white-on-white -white inhumanity. Absolute poppycock. And she kept digging it deeper and deeper. Now, I don't believe in cancel culture, but I'm sick and tired of Republicans and conservatives getting called out for the most innocuous of statements. And then the ultra-left and the Dems and the Libs and all the liberal commentators, the Libstream media, jumping up and down, demanding that whomever that Republican was or conservative that said something that may be considered slightly offensive should be canceled, fired, lose their family, lose their job, never work again. They jump up and down and go crazy. And unfortunately, most of the time, Republicans and rhinos are pussies. They have no balls. And they immediately cower and they apologize, thinking that's going to help. And it doesn't. You remember that AOC, something was said against AOC. I can't remember what it was. And AOC demanded an apology. 
So the Republican gave an apology, and then AOC says, I refuse your apology. I don't accept it. Don't apologize to these bastards. If you have an opinion, even if it's controversial, stick with it. Personally, I think Whoopi Goldberg's a fucking moron. Does that mean she should, she should have been fired or suspended? No, but she's an idiot. She proved how ignorant she is. Now, I don't watch The View, and The View, I don't know what the ratings are, but all I can tell you is The View has gone from what was at one time an entertaining program to now a blatantly partisan, biased, lib demfest. If ABC really wanted to do it, they would bring in entertainment people and get away from all the politics. Because whether it's Whoopi Goldberg or, or um, Rosie O'Donnell, they all are ultra-leftists that have zero tolerance for anyone else's views. So Whoopi Goldberg was suspended for two weeks. Essentially suspended probably with pay. Essentially it's like saying go on a vacation for two weeks and Whoopi Goldberg was outraged and said, I'm going to quit. Well, you know what I'd say? Fucking quit. Go ahead and quit. Nobody's indispensable or irreplaceable. Quit. The view will continue on. It's been around for what, 25 years? It'll be on for another 25 with other people. And they said very little the next day when Whoopi Goldberg was suspended. Of course, Joy Behar sat in that, uh, that, that chair that Whoopi normally occupies and says, okay, you already know what happened. Okay, we're going to move on. That's all she said. Now, they love to make big deals and go after Republicans and conservatives. So Whoopi Goldberg on Monday makes the statement. On Tuesday, she invited Jonathan Greenblatt who is the executive director of the Anti-Defamation League, the ADL on, to have, an, as, as he said, to have an important discussion on the importance of educating about the Holocaust. He said, Whoopi has been a longtime ally of the Jewish community, and ADL and her apology is very much welcome. See, when it's a Democrat or a lib, isn't it amazing? You bring on somebody from the ADL, and by the way, the ADL used to be a nonpartisan organization. When Jonathan Greenblatt was named executive director after the previous executive director, uh, Abraham Foxman, who I think served in that capacity for 30-plus years, when he retired, they brought in Greenblatt, who is an ultra-lib dem, who served in the Obama administration, who is a blatant Democrat partisan. He loves going after Republicans for anything, but Democrats, not so much. Case in point, Whoopi Goldberg. He said, of course... He made the perfunctory, hey, she's wrong, that's an ignorant comment. So Whoopi invites her on, and of course Whoopi says, I'm going to learn more, I'm going to take the time. But, of course, context matters. And so AOC, not exactly the brightest light on the tree, not exactly the bright... Look, you don't have to be very smart to be a member of Congress, but Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez the dumbest member of Congress, and I mean dumber than a box of lead rocks. She is now saying that Whoopi Goldberg's suspension was unnecessary because she's already made good with the community she offended, saying that Jonathan Greenblatt of the ADL accepted her apology after he was invited on to explain why her take was misinformed, and therefore everything should be fine. Move on. Yet, she doesn't accept apologies. She wants to cancel everyone else. And now you've got all the Dem Libs saying, 
This cancel culture has gotten out of hand. It's, it's crazy. It's ridiculous. Who started the ca uh, cancel culture? And I always say, beware. You go down that path, turnabout is fair play. What goes around comes around. Karma is a bitch. Karma has now paid a visit to Whoopi Goldberg, the Dems, and the Libs. And now you had Mika Zika Brzezinski on Morning Schmo. But really, it should be named Morning Zika because she's the one that wears the pants in the family. She's got the balls, not Joe Schmo. She goes on and says, this is ridiculous. Cancel culture's gotten out of hand. Yet, they're the first ones to say that Republicans, conservatives should be canceled for any misstatement or any opinionated statement. Screw them. Whoopi Goldberg is a moron. In fact, most every host on The View is a moron. They're idiots. Anna Navarro, Joy Behar, Whoopi Goldberg. What's the other one? Sonny Hostin. I don't watch the show. I just see clips. But I know people that do watch it. And I say, why do you watch that show? Basically, you're outnumbered. It's, it's four people, three or four women against one Republican, usually a rhino. And all they do is attack you. Why would you watch it? which still baffles me to this day why people actually do watch it. Makes no sense to me. Moral of the story, don't ever apologize if you have an opinion. And if the Dems are now whining about cancel culture, too effing bad. They created the cancel culture. And I say, turnabout is fair play. I don't believe in censorship. I don't believe in boycotting. I don't believe in cancel culture. But sooner or later, we have to take a stand to make it very clear. You want to pull that on us, we're going to make an example out of you. Because the only way you will end it is to cancel one of their own. Because when one of their own is canceled, then all of a sudden they'll wake up and say, well, that's not fair, that's not right, destroying somebody, they should be given another chance. Turnabout is fair play. You created the mess, and now you're going to experience the mess. As always, don't forget to subscribe to the Cigar Dave Show podcast, as well as our Brother Bold Alpha podcast, wherever you happen to listen to your podcast, and give us a five-star review. We have noticed there are some enemies of pleasure that have infiltrated the reviews. You can pick them out, giving us a one-star review. So do us a favor, just take a few seconds, give us a five-star review, because the only one that's really telling it straight up, no bullshit, is me. The rhinos, the lamestream media, the libstream media, they will sugarcoat everything. We are not politically correct. We don't apologize for our opinions. We're proud to be alpha males. We are proud to have giant nads of steel. And we will never kowtow to the Dems, the libs, or wussified betas. Ever, ever, ever. Cigar Dave the General saying, Mayor Humidor always be full. Mayor Cutter always be sharp. Mayor Ashby extra, extra long. Semper delectation. Always pleasure. Long live the alpha. Make masculinity great again. Screw the enemies of pleasure. Screw the Dems, the libs. Live it up.